oh, they've even changed more things. Um, um, well, while you're thinking on that, I've posed that question to many people. How is what we did in Iraq any different than what Russia's doing in Ukraine? Except we killed way more women and children, I think. Who would ever know? We didn't have the Iraqi ABC over there telling us about it every 30 seconds. Well, and the essence of of what this Oliver Stone, uh, Ukraine on fire, again, for those with eyes to see and ears to hear, what you see is the CIA involved, the various different agencies involved of trying to make a nation, if you will, and to put forward your political interest. And, and so, for example, the United States puts forth its political interest. And should we be doing that, putting forth our political interest? and so forth, that to me is the debate. It is the real debate. And this is the debate that Americans who want to call themselves professing Christians and indeed Americans who call themselves patriot Americans, this is the debate that needs to be had. And that is kind of what we're going through last week with the fellowship, as well as what I intended to bring back to the table again for this week. You see, let me give you an example of what I'm trying to say. This is getting way ahead in my notes, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it now. I'm going to give you an example from my notes. Um, For example, Rebecca, well, let's go there. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 25, Verse 23. So I'll basically set the table by, by going to the things that are going to go on the table in order to help, I guess, get an understanding of what it is that the table is being set for. Um, so in Exodus chapter 25. Genesis 25 or Exodus Uh, Genesis, I'm sorry, I said Exodus, didn't I? So, yes, Genesis Mm -hmm. chapter 25. And this is so Old Testament, I I assure you. Um, It has no bearing whatsoever for today's (laughs) professing Christians. But let's go there anyway, just just to humor those of us that still believe it has validity. Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. The Lord says, okay, let me, for context, um, uh, Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter, I'm in 20, 25, 20, Genesis. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of um, Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. The Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from your bowels. The one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. 
okay, this is a prophetic vision, prophetic statement from the Lord. This is a prophecy concerning the seed in Rebecca's womb. <clears throat> However, something happens. And Genesis chapter 27, we have <clears throat> Rebecca and Jacob maneuvering, if you will, to carry out the political will of God. You see what I'm saying? In other words, because they're, they're thinking God needs help. Exactly. Right. Right. There's nothing in Genesis chapter 25 verses uh, 21 to 23 that tell us that Rebecca and Jacob are going to have to do something in order to make this happen because it isn't until we learn of the birth and we find out which one was first and which one was on the heel or was holding on to the heel. And of course, I probably should have read that for context and reminder is Esau comes out first and Jacob is a hold of the heel. That's why they called him the heel catcher. And um, so, so, but the, the prophecy of God says, one people should be stronger than the other and the elder shall serve the younger. So this elder, which is Esau, is supposed to serve the younger. So, we don't know exactly how God was going to make that happen since the elder was Esau. We just know that he already knew who was going to be first. But in man's divine wisdom, uh, infinite wisdom, I should say, his finite wisdom, he, he always seems to think that he's supposed to do something to carry out the will other than just flat out being obedient. And so we find ourselves trying to engage in something that we think is his will, and this is what I found in the Oliver Stone, Ukraine on Fire um, documentary, or whatever you want to call it, a movie uh, soundbite. Um, you essentially have men vying for their political wills and ostensibly they each think they're right in their own eyes, which the scripture admonishes and teaches us that. Everyone thinks he's right in his own eyes. So the question is, and the question becomes, are we involved for the right reasons if we're involved as the CIA and other operatives and so forth, as we go throughout all of the world. In fact, if you're honest with yourself, it appears that everywhere the CIA has gone and every adventure it's ventured into, it has literally, by it, secured our own demise. But you would never get that 
from a CIA operative. And you would never get that from the deep state government operatives because they, they can do no wrong. They're the smart guys in the room. They're the ones full of wisdom and intelligence. And after all, they perceive themselves as doing God's will and being about his will. And so as I watched that documentary from Stone, and I sent that to you, I, I basically said, well, this is how it's done. This is the uh, false flag operations. These are the, um, the different uh, scenarios that were played out internally to cause the internal turmoil over the past number of decades of years. And it's all designed by the players so as to get that card in their deck. And in all of their efforts to get the card in the deck, Putin has turned around and reshuffled the deck on them. And it makes them extremely mad because, and I'm, I'm not, do not misinterpret that I think Putin is the good guy or the white hat. I don't really know because I'm not Russian. I can't read Russian. I can only glean, as all of us are gleaning, from the pieces of information that come to us and are available and try to make some sense by putting all the pieces and the factors together into something that you could at least safely conclude, well, this is exactly what's going on. And I believe that I can safely conclude that exactly what is going on is this was the nation that was being courted, if you will, out of democracy. This was the nation that was the being democratized, uh, so to speak, in order to be the West's foothold in, in that region, just like we're trying to be the foothold in the region of the Middle East by being in Iraq and so forth. But of course, Israel thinks we're their friend so they're willing to have us in Iraq. They don't want us, um, but they hold us close to the vest because they would not like to see Iran be a secure power that would cause them problems. So as long as they feel that they can continue to pull the West around by its nose, then all the pieces of the puzzle will eventually fall into place and they will have their totalitarian world order with they themselves leading it. So, but it was just interesting to me to see how all that in the movie was basically showing you the false flags, showing the operatives that were there, showing the various dis, uh, dissensions and movements within it. And so when Putin goes out and says he's, he's trying to crush the, the Nazified, uh, you know, Russian flank over there or whatever, you know, I have to take that with a grain of salt because those are buzzwords to the West. And so when he says those words, it conjures up certain ideas in people's minds. And so therefore they, they have a certain perception. And then those who those words mean something different to, it has a different perception and a different connotation to them also. So... Uh that was basically the gist of it. And so the example that I'm bringing here with Rebecca 
is nobody told Rebecca or Jacob that they needed to intervene in any way in what God said was going to happen about those two people in the womb. Even had Isaac blessed Esau and given him the blessings, do we not understand it would not have mattered? Esau would have given, Isaac would have given Esau the blessing. Isaac would have squandered it with all of his ill-gotten, you know, wives and so forth. And he would have squandered it anyway. And Jacob would have been whom Esau would have served because it came from the mouth of God. And when it comes from the mouth of God, there's no stopping it. Yeah. And well, so, 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 now, so now the modern Ukraine, you have all manner of intervention of men, whether it's Russia, whether it's the United States, whether it's China, whether it's Israel. You've got all manner of intervention of man instead of God's people simply carrying out righteousness in the application of the divine moral laws of God we end up with a perverted outcome, no matter which way the outcome is. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Good evening, guys. Good, Good evening. evening, Rich. You, you made evening, a comment earlier. You made a comment earlier, and I don't know if you've noticed that they're coming down on uh, Tucker Carlson or asking some basic outside the norm questions about the whole Russian invasion thing. But this much we know for sure. We know this 100% that this is the same media that could not help but use baseless claims a million times per broadcast to assure us that any claims we had about that election were baseless. So they follow a script. You can't deny that. It's undeniable. They follow a script. And somebody above them is writing the script. And so when we hear this constant, constant uh, language about how evil Putin was, if that's the case, he was always that way way back when we were sitting down and having powwows with him. Remember? Exactly. So we lose faith in what we hear in the corporate media, don't we? Real easy, because we're trying to find out the truth, and the truth does not exist in the media, in the mainstream media. And so then our little CIA guys got to go start making sub-media groups to confuse you even more. And it goes on and on. But uh, I'm like you. We don't have to pass judgment on Mr. Putin because we have enough dirt on our leader to pass judgment on. Absolutely. So Absolutely. Why don't we clean our house first? Then go start joining these World War Threes and Fours and Fives. Well, that's not that's not the agenda of of 
of the powerful elites. Mm-hmm. Their mm-hmm. agenda is not their agenda is not the agenda of of God. Not a righteous agenda. Yeah, as we kind of touched on last week, you know, the biblical record is God's effort to bring the created into harmony with his will. The fact that he used a single family or a lineage of a family in order to carry it about and bring it into existence or to identify his sovereignty through the ramifications of blessings and curses, you know, that's that's in the record. That is the whole totality of the biblical record. And if man is not allowed this free choice or agency, how could he ever experience, that is God, the joy of obedience to his will? And as I mentioned last week, don't we as parents likewise experience joy and obedience and brokenheartedness and disobedience? Absolutely. So as a way of recapping from last week, just some things that I touched on about his watchful eye at Zephaniah 3.17 and Second Chronicles 16.9 and abundant of other places. But you know, there... We, we didn't read into some of the other scriptures that I'm going to probably bring us to tonight in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and Isaiah chapter 1. These, these free will choices, if you're honest, accepts sin. And it does man's will, not God's. And that's why I, I bring out that example of Rebecca being told that Jacob is going to be served by Esau, regardless of the fact that Isaac is going to intend to give a blessing. We don't even know, but what God might have caused Isaac to pass away while Esau was out getting the venison. We don't even know if God might have moved Isaac in the spirit of his passing to call his other son unto him and give him the blessing because we didn't get to experience it or we didn't get to read about the experience. The only thing we got was man's will and man's device in order to make something happened that they thought was God's will, which indeed it was. But for some reason, and it, Russell, it goes to the issue you were talking about that we should do a topic on, which is, well, God's in charge. Because we really have to think about God being in charge. And are we willing to let him be in charge? And the first thing in letting him be in charge is our free will cannot accept sin. And it does not accept its will over God's will. 
And as last week I brought up, you know, when the child by his conduct deserves the wrath of the parent, that wrath is supposed to wield influence for good or obedience or bad, rejection of the chastisement, and more need of punishment. And it's the same way with God with us as the created. Well, I tell you, you know, the wicked, they understand the nature of man. They go about, as I said last week, seeking ways to occupy our intellect to the point, just like you said now, Russell, there goes your CIA operators out there to go ahead and now go out there and muddy the water. There has to be, I sent my sister an email and I said, I sent her the, the, you know, the, the Zelensky video of him doing his little dance in the, in the, in the mm-hmm. high heels and, mm-hmm. and um, um, you know, the, you know, uh, playing yeah, the guitar, you know. Uh, and I, I said, I said, just remember every night when you hear Mark Levin go out there and talk about Putin, and, and just think about how he says that, Putin. Mm-hmm. He's saying that for a reason. That, that's not just a, you know, just a bad you know, uh, interpretation of his name. It's, it's, it's done for a purpose. And he so mm-hmm. despises that man. He is so sickened by him. And I said, just remember, just remember, every night you hear Michael Levin go on and tell you about how bad things are for those poor people in Ukraine, you remember he's supporting the guy dancing in high heels banging on a piano with his male anatomy appendage and strumming a guitar naked. Oh, that's all just humor stuff. Well, whatever. I have never done that in order to humor whomever I thought needed some humor. So, you know, um, it is not becoming of a person of righteousness. And so he, Zelensky, as a Jew... Just remember, I told my sister that Mark Levin is out there every day supporting that man. And I said, remember those three images in your head. Because honestly, Russell, Rich, and and Melissa, I don't see any other way of getting through to people sometimes. Besides the visual visual representation of their, their disgusting nature. Notice how Israel has been so quiet on the world stage regarding Ukraine. You know, everybody else wanted to bring something to the fight. They just kind of sit over there and watch, don't they? It's almost like they say, let's you and him get in a fight, and they watch. You know? We also have the adage of our former pastor, take whatever the mainstream corporate media reports and look at it 180 degrees different, and you're probably going to find the truth. What would compel them to tell us the truth? Nothing. 
They're they're money-driven people. And they love to award themselves, don't they? With big shows that nobody watches anymore. You got a Grammy, you got an Emmy, you got a Tony. Whoop-de-doodle-doo. <laughs> don't you shut down and have a party when the Grammys come on? Oh or yeah, I, I look. Uh, yeah, I I look forward to the night, and I can't mm-hmm. hardly sleep the mm-hmm. night before. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's riveting. Because uh, Dan Rather could get an Emmy for his performance. See, that's the key: the performance. Well. Don't don't forget the other awards too, the Critics Award and the Screen Actors Guild. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, I forgot. So everybody gets an award. <laughs> everybody that plays the game correctly. Oh, don't forget the Black Entertainment Award. Right. Yeah. Is there a Jewish Entertainment Award? Yeah, <laughs> they're no, all Jewish no. entertainment awards. Russell, Russell, we don't want to draw attention to the Jews with the awards. We we want the Goy to have the awards. That's the target anyway. We're happy to sit by and and know that we brought it about. Well, and also they probably sell the statues. See, that's the thing about them. Good point. That's a great point. (laughs) You know, it's like the stock market, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, The the stocks go up and down, but that's profit. Yeah, the the statue-making craft has not gone out of existence, has it, Russell? (laughs) No. Well, well, last week you were talking about intellectualism and emotionalism. Remember? Yes. So we were going to kind of come back and revisit some of those definitions or thoughts or ideas. Well, well, we'll let yeah, we'll we'll continue on in that vein, but we'll have to let last week's fellowship just be for the archives, and and those can okay. pick that back up. But yes, you're right. We'll we'll segue back into it. And I was just going to say, you know, Acts 17:28 says that in Him we live and move and have our being. So, if, what if Acts 17:28? says that in him we live and move and have our being. So the fact that we live, the fact that we move, and the fact that we have our being is because of him. I don't know how many people actually consider that, professing or not. And if 1 John 4.16 says that if we dwell in the love of God, God dwells in us, 
Well, then, in a finite sense, we have the capacity of God's intellect, God's love, and God's grace and mercy. But only in so much as our relationship to him is in a state of communion with him. So when I was trying to express some of the things that were coming to my mind about how our intellect is taken over. I mean, we've had these conversations amongst ourselves. Sometimes we think people just don't know anything. And we're not saying those things because we're smarter or we're more, you know. Uh, no, that's not what it is. It, it really, what I guess we're saying is that there's such a lack of critical thinking ability. The very attributes of God that we have in us we have very little capacity to use them, whether it's our free will capacity to choose him or an intellect capacity, an intellectual capacity that says, well, gee, I might suffocate this planet. Huh? What are you talking about? You know, does God not know what the created will endeavor to do? And does he not know and understand that we will invariably at times, from time to time, even do things that might be injurious to ourselves or his creation called the planet, the universe? Of course. But that's what having intellect is all about, is so that you can use that intellect to analyze the effects that you might be having and change the course. And this is the whole biblical record, but it's as if we're so bogged down in a sin aspect of it, we can't even see the greater picture in that as well. So we have the capacity of manifesting all of his characteristics and qualities to everyone that we encounter. And that's all in spiritual union, according to John 17, 20 to 23. Let's turn over there. John chapter 20. 17, 20 or 20, 17? 1720, I'm sorry if I said that wrong in, in the second one, John 17, 20 to 23. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Jesus did not just make a prayer for his apostles there present with him when he went to pray. He prayed also for them which are going to believe on him through their word, for all eternity to come. 21, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gave me, I've given them, that they may be one, even as we're one. I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, 
and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them and thou hast loved me. Wow. I honestly am beginning to question the love of man. I don't mean that rhetorically that I've all of a sudden had an epiphany that I'm beginning to question the love of man. I say that in all due respect to man and brethren. We're not one. In fact, I got an email from somebody telling me about somebody who's done a recent message about unity. A couple dozen men got together and said, let's have unity. We've been divided. We've been separated. Are you sure they were men? Am I sure they were what? Men. Yeah. That's what I mean, Rich. That's exactly what I mean. And... To say that, oh, you're holier than thou, you know, and all the rest of that comes along with it. And I don't say it for that reason. I say it because that truly is what we've got to be thinking about. We're supposed to be in unity with the will of the Creator. His His character and His greatness, He's actually asked us to take a hold of. Flip over to Proverbs chapter 1. I'm going to verse 22, and we're going to read through to the end of the chapter. Wisdom cries without. She, that is wisdom, utters her voice in the street. She cries in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city she utters her words, saying, How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn! You at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But you have set at naught all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear comes. When your fear comes as desolation and your destruction comes as a whirlwind, when distresses and anguish come upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge, 
and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkens unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. He's asked us to take hold of his character and greatness. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? So I look at all this evil and unrighteous activity that's been going on behind the scenes, nation building, if you will, and all of these other things. And even as a remnant of Jacob Israel, I hear Jacob Israel's remnant saying, we're the good guys. We're the white hats. We're supposed to have all these ports of our enemies, the gates and the, of the seas, etc. You're exactly right. He said he would give them to you. He did not say you needed to do anything to take anything. And I go back to Rebecca. When you have the prophecy of God telling you all these good and great things, all this character that you possess of his, abiding in his will, being in divine love with him and character of righteousness, that righteous conduct or action can only be preceded by righteous instruction or intelligence. If we don't have righteous intelligence, we're going to have unrighteous outcomes. And the application of the moral law of God, it's not self-actuating toward God or toward man but by the command or the instruction which he's admonished us to live by them. Those commands or instructions, they're universally understood by all of man, but rather than fully embrace the righteousness of them and the virtuousness of the action which would be in accord with them, he exchanges the divine moral law for the tragedy of lawlessness and disobedience. At John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. 1 John 1, 5, John said, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. To me, that says, if these things that are happening, and you have the Judeo-Christian church world cheering on, cheering on different things that are in their 
prophetic spheres that they've been believing in, in their false doctrine, their false theology, their end-time theology, their prophetic theologies, cheering various things on, which are evil. Jesus was in complete obedience with the will of the Father. The natural observations of God condemn us. Turn with me to Paul's epistle to the Romans. Chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God's is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Professing ourselves to be wise, we drafted our own moral code of conduct. And we became fools. A fool lacks intellect. Continuing at 23. And they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, to birds, four-footed beasts, creeping things, and even paper things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature, creature rather, more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And we allow them to teach that to children because they go to a public school. And for many decades, it was mandatory that your children attend those public schools.
We have this witness, the natural observation of God, already condemns us. Now, stay right where you're at and just go to 2, verse 11. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law that are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when nations which have not the law, I know your scripture might say Gentiles, the word there is nations, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves which shows the work of the law written in their hearts and their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. And this is exactly what we have. We have Russians excusing one another, United States excusing one another, as long as it suits their will. Iranians excusing one another, as long as it suits their will. Chinese suiting, you know, uh, um, excusing one another, as long as it suits their will. And on and on it goes. <coughs> now, flip another page, perhaps, in your Bible to chapter 3. Now we know, I'm in verse 19, that what things soever the law says, it says to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. (laughs) Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Where there is no law, the law of sin prevails. This this moral light of God should appeal to the intellect, yet its true force is actually eliminated by men through vain philosophical reasonings. And that's exactly what you're hearing from Mark Levin and what you're hearing from the CIA operatives that are out there on all the media trying to tell you that we need to get involved in something that we can't even take care of our own runny nose. The whole wisdom and law of God says, you obey me, I will do all these things. You you will not have to go beg for oil. You will not have to go beg that somebody does not do this. I will deliver these nations into your hands. What is so difficult and unintelligible 
by this information that we have in this biblical record. I didn't ask the question for an answer, but I sure thought somebody might want to give me one. <laughs> oh, here's something right here that tells us exactly that. Acts chapter 17. I'm going to spin over to 27. That they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him, 1727 and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone or graven by art, and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he has given assurance. And all men in that he raised him from the dead. It seems to me professing Christians in the West ought to get back to believing in this God of the Bible. We, we read there in Romans 1.18 that man suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. If we are not seeing truth out there, you can rest assured it's unrighteousness that's happening. Does that make sense? I think it makes all the sense in the world. When pastor taught when pastor taught you can bet it's a hundred and eighty degrees out of phase well right here Paul tells us that man suppresses the truth in unrighteousness you follow you follow what's being said there don't you If there is not truth that's being said, there is unrighteousness being attempted to be executed. Promoted. Yeah. And so when we do suppress the truth in unrighteousness, we're taken captive by the vain philosophy and empty deception, meaning that we'll believe anything other than he is the head of all principality and power. So right back to God's in charge. 
So essentially, God is reasoned away before he ever gets the opportunity to be had. And thus, man is continually carried away as prey to be devoured. And so we are being devoured. Which I remember, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, that is the magic of a con man. It really is. And I was just going to say, it reminds me of all the times I remember how I read these patriotic things about these patriot men of the 1700s. And how all of the things that we've been taught and shared and the the various points of writings that we were quoted and so forth without having any original source context to any of them. And I all I could think of as I was carrying that thought out in my mind to paper, I said, there I was being carried away continually as a prey to be devoured by believing that document was as good as God. I want you to think about that. Yeah, it's a shame on us. It, it is. It really is. And it was because I lacked intellect. <laughs> yeah. Well, not just you. We. I was carried away by a wind of doctrine. Didn't know what hit us. But that's what we were taught. Yep. We wanted to be good students. We were taught. I was taught the first commandment. I was taught the first commandment. I will have no other gods beside me. I was taught that too. But I did not understand that I had erected the false god in place of that commandment. Well, now let's back up. Honestly, I'm confessing sin. I, I wonder how many other professing Christians would confess that sin. Go ahead, Russell. Well, I was going to say, we start out with our parents. That's where we start. Collecting data to live. And then all of a sudden, when we turn six or seven, we are told loco parentis, which is the law in the public schools that says, when mommy and daddy aren't around, we are mommy and daddy. And so somebody had to make sure those mommy and daddies at the school 
uh, were artful enough to deceive and lead, and this is the result. So we can't blame it all on mommy and daddy, but in a sense... No, a slow, steady chain of events ensued to interrupt our intellect. Yes, so we're being de-educated. And our predecessor said that as well. Yeah, he did. And so it really is this. If you're de-educated, you're easily manipulated. Exactly. Need another world war, don't we? You know, your intellect has been altered. It's the same way if you take a shot that alters your DNA. Yeah, or your yeah, your physiology's been altered with a spiked protein. If, if your intellect has been altered to to make you think that cow flatulence is going to destroy the planet. Therefore, we should all eat a grain-based or a vegetable-based burger from now on out. That's totally, that's totally contrary to what God actually instructed us to do as far as meat, good for food. You see, once again, it's false intellect. And yes, this, is, this is what's so... Yeah. Masked. Mm-hmm. The record what reflects. Seems, well, I was just going to say, what seems right to man is not what's right is necessarily. Yeah, right here in the New Testament, Paul's own words, the record reflects that none are without excuse. Because of that natural observation in itself, the basis of guilt and the condemnation manifests. So when Jesus conveys the significance of the moral obligation to God, and the second one is like unto it, the moral obligation to neighbor, he's expressing the revelations which God has made to man. It actually signifies the right method of fulfilling that duty, the biblical record. It reveals examples of punishment and reward while he was yet willing to intervene with man and instruct him. Melissa's sent me a chat and says that she went to Catholic school from second to eighth grade and she was never really taught the Bible. She didn't even know there was a book of Leviticus until she was grown and started reading the Bible. And there's an example of taking away her intellect. There's the example of Christ's words which said, bring the child unto me. Woe to them that would cause one of these little ones to stumble. It would be better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. 
That's the love of Jesus, my friends. So we have all this evidence of the moral light of God from our own, even from our own anatomy. When the, the psalmist says, I will fear thee and praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalms 139. All these evidences, reason, are reason. Here, let's go to reason. Isaiah chapter 40. Well, I'm 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 missing that in my thoughts. It's the scripture where he says, "Come now, let us reason together." And I was thinking it was in Isaiah 40, and I'm looking for a place that I had it underlined, and I don't see it. Is in Isaiah 56. Woe to you, shepherds! Well, thus says the Lord at 56.1, Keep judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man that does this and the son of man that lays hold on it, that keeps the Sabbath from polluting it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Um, but yeah, I mean, all throughout the prophets, certainly we have this this evidence of of the reason, you know, our, our our faculties of reason ought to be trained and instructed by this information. And that's what's just astounding. Go to Psalms 139 because it probably bears taking some time to do it. Um, 35, uh, let's see. Uh, 139, and let's start at uh, start at 14. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are the works, are thy works, and that my soul knows right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely you will slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? 
I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That goes to what I was mentioning last week, you know, about this is what God does. God searches the heart. David, the psalmist, said, search my heart, O God. That is not going to be a popular message if it's preached today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And why? Why? Why would it not be preached? It's just all the more evidence of why we want our heart right with the will of God so that the abundance of the blessings and the outward manifestations of the turmoil and the evil that we witness is not upon us. This is what makes the nations come unto the nations of the God of Jacob and say, we will come and hear of you about your God that we might be benefited by it. But we still have people in this country that believe we built this nation. We are this nation. We should not be invaded by invaders because we did this. We had a message in the archives several months back. I titled it, What Exalts a Nation? Its Leader? Question mark? With all this moral observation of God, we profess with our lips that we've got God-given rights. It's almost as if we worship our, and serve our own selves, the creature, more than the creator. You see... Just that mere thought, we have God-given rights. We think we're professing that those rights are from God. The only right that I know that I have is my duty in obedience to him. Does that make sense? Yes. Our conscience bears witness that we're in rebellion to the Creator's will. It's been man that's unwilling to live in accordance with the Creator's will. The whole of mankind is involved in various forms with religious exercises. Just look around the world. And those religious exercises are ostensibly in acknowledgement of this very God or at least a Godhead, yet they're incapable of purifying or purging their minds and conscience to the errors of the sin and come to the knowledge of God in truth. He's shown us from Adam, Cain and Abel, 
Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, a formal revelation of divine moral laws for the conduct of the created. Even if one elects to reject the biblical record of God's dealing with Israel exclusively, the moral laws of God are the instrument of righteousness to be rejoiced in for their blessing. Not as a burden. Go read Deuteronomy 10 and starting at about 12 to 11, pretty much the end of the chapter. And then go reread Deuteronomy 28 and Deuteronomy 30. Oh, Brother Doug, it's all Old Testament. That's been fulfilled in Jesus. All Scripture, all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly perfect unto all good works. It's only in the divine moral laws of God that we can find what determines what is virtue because it alone expresses man's moral obligation to God and man. We have a document that we're all bound. I was on Gab the other day. I digress. And here was a guy that wrote something, and, and I probably should have saved it so I could do it justice. But he wrote something, and he said, now, let me see. For the last two or three years, a couple of three years, I've been told that I'm not important, that um, the way that I voted is irrelevant, and he went on with three or four or five different things like that. And yet, I'm supposed to revere this very deep state government and basically abide in its will. I, like I say, I'm paraphrasing and I'm doing it no justice, but you get the sense of what he's trying to say. And I responded to the guy and said, I think you got it, brother. Now turn to God and and let's get it done right this first this next time. So so as I say, it's only in the divine moral laws of God that you can find what determines what is virtue because it alone expresses man's moral obligation to God and man. If that is not written in our document we will not have what determines virtuous leaders and virtual, virtuous representation of tens and fifties and hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands. You know, what is an obligation if not a duty either to do or not to do? See, that's what an obligation is. It's to do or not to do. Is the obligation moral or is it immoral? 
If moral, it follows man's course of action or conduct in relation to God and man is the binding force upon and in consideration of their relationship. Therefore, Jesus proclaims the highest moral duty and obligation is first to God and second to one's neighbor as himself. True love toward God and true love toward neighbor is a voluntary and impartial state of goodwill. Let me prove it to you. Turn to Galatians. Galatians is always so hard to find. Galatians chapter 5. It's tucked right in there behind the second of Corinthians and Ephesians. And it's only a couple pages. 5, 12 is where we're going to begin. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. For brethren... You've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts after the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. I was talking with a brother who said, I was trying to have this sweet fellowship with these people who wanted to have sweet fellowship with me. And I found out they were basically drunks. Drunken words? No. Liquor? Still living in the spirit and the flesh. And and for those of us who are trying to walk in the Spirit, this is so foreign to us, and we can't understand how professing Christians can still be so obtuse to the obligation and the duty to live in the Spirit of God and not in the Spirit of the flesh. Because their church leaders have told them it's okay. The law was done away. Besides, a little wine is good for the soul. One crashes his vehicle, nearly kills himself. Another one beats up 
those close to him? And on and on and on. Uh-huh. Don't forget. This is not walking. This is not walking after the spirit. This is still fleshly. I know my brother Rich. I know my brother Russell. I know they don't walk that way. And haven't for a very long time because they want to walk spiritually with God in accordance with his will, in the light of his order. Our moral obligation, simple logic and intelligence tells us is to be willing to live like God lives. Peter, in 1 Peter 1.16, admonishes us, be you holy, for I am holy. That means we're to shape ourselves to fit into the moral universe of God. Doing so, we aim at our Creator's happiness, His glory, His honor, his witness of all things holy, moral, and righteous. And that led me to the example of Rebecca and the modern-day example of Ukraine. The only way we can abide in him and he abide in us is if our moral and righteousness is in line and in accords with his. You can call me negative. You can say I'm just complaining. That's all that you hear is complaining. I've walked in the flesh to try to change what's happening in our country. And I lived a good portion of my life in a five-by-eight box confined of liberty. I would do it again. I would do it again if I for one instance, could believe that it would actually do any good. For our nation, America, or God's people, Israel, anywhere in his creation, but I now know of a certainty the only thing that will change our situation is to believe the words in this book we profess is the word of God. 
there must be consequences or moral government collapses. And this is the only measure of righteousness or moral obedience. Time's going to fail me to go through the scriptures. Isaiah 1, 19 to 20. 26, 9. Isaiah 3, 9 to 15. And 4, 18 to 24. Deuteronomy 11, 26 to 8. And all of 28. Profoundly. Chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, 15 to 20. Let's go there, because we've got a little time. And we'll do that one for sure. Deuteronomy chapter 30. See, I've set before thee this day, life and good, death and evil. I'm not sure that we got that. Let me say that again. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. In that, I command thee this day to love thy Lord, thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. If thou heart turns away, so that thou will not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that you shall surely perish, and that you shall not prolong your days upon the land whither you go over to possess the Jordan. I call heaven and earth, to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. That thou mayest love the Lord thy God and thou mayest obey his voice and thou, thou may cleave unto him for he is the life, the length of days. Thou may dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. Other scriptures, Jeremiah 18, 7 to 10, Matthew 23, 37, Romans 2, 5, 9, Romans 6, 15 to 19. And let's go to Genesis 18 real quick. I'll let you go here. Genesis 18. Beginning at verse 23. Abraham drew near and said, I, I just, I think of Abraham doing that. God, as he draws his head closer to God, God, oh Yahweh, will you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? For adventure, there be 50 righteous within the city. Will you also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this matter, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked? That be far from thee. Say it isn't so, Lord. Say it isn't so. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Yahweh says, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, 
then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Abram answers and says, Oh, behold now, I've taken it upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure, there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Would you destroy the city for the lack of the five? As if I find there forty-five, I will not destroy it. Oh, he stuck into them yet again and said, Peradventure, there shall be found forty there. He said, I will not do it for forty's sake. He said unto him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure, there shall be thirty found there. He said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto Yahweh. Peradventure, there shall be twenty found there. He said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry with me. I will speak yet this once. Peradventure ten shall be found there. He said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. The Lord went away, and as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, Abraham returned unto his place. Wow, 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 wow. What a tremendous record of the magnanimity God of Jacob Israel. There is an abundance of grace in this God of creation. An abundance of grace and mercy that he would not spare or destroy, I should say, would not destroy a city if there be ten found there that were righteous. And as we all know, there weren't. So, I'm happy to be amongst you working out my salvation daily. Walking with him trusting in him, abiding in his love, asking that he will search my heart, that I be found abiding in his love. And those are the thoughts that I've been having about the moral will of God and how we profess with our lips we are so moral. We are yet decrepit and decaying degenerates. Especially our nation right now. In much of the Christian world that really, really, really needs to come to grips with what it means to abide in his will and in his love. And I just know when we do that, we will find all sorts of things that he'll gracefully bring about that we won't even understand how they happened in the face of such 
degeneracy the world over. He's willing. Heavenly Father, how wonderful is your word. How wonderful is your divine moral law. Teach us, Father, daily to walk in it. Guide us, Father, in our every step. Direct our paths. Put righteousness in our way and not unrighteousness. Thanking you for the abundance of blessings that you've brought our way. And Father, most of all, thank you for your protection from the evil, wicked, and unrighteous doers world over. Remember us, O Lord. And thank you for considering us. Our blemishes. Thanks for spending some time with me. Yep. Same here. A lot of profitable profitable stuff in there. Thank you. Good night. Good night, all.